uh, the thought occurred to me, and I asked her, I said, in the time that you've been treasurer, has any other city council member or city council candidate ever sat down with you and, and gone over the same thing, asked for the same type of summary information? And, and she said no. And that really surprised me because um, it is such a complicated thing that it would take anybody quite a while to wrap their mind around all the different facets. And so um, in addition to attending the meetings, in addition to meeting with department heads, which I've since also met with the public works director and the director of uh, public utilities, and uh, in addition to all that, I have been speaking uh, frequently with current council members to try to get questions answered and and understand what this or that means in uh, procedurally. And basically, I feel like the Sheridan voter deserves to vote for somebody who's done their homework. been a little bit quiet of late at least on the air we have been working on campaigns i believe everybody in this room has been that's right um i am joined today by andy patsig who is running for sheridan city council welcome back thank you very much i'm really happy to be here and to my left <laughs> the right reverend representative mark jennings hey good to be back i don't think i want reverend Wright. <laughs> together there at all i don't let's let's cut that part okay we welcomed andy in in order to give him a little bit of an opportunity to talk about some of the issues in his race primarily and for some of you to get a chance to know him a little bit better you have been here before but i imagine everybody's forgotten you so please andy reintroduce yourself Okay, um, my name is Andrew Patzig. I am running for city council. I was born and raised in Wyoming. I've been living in Sheridan for just under 10 years now. Uh, my wife's family has roots here, and um, when I was a bit younger, we, I got married, and we decided we wanted to see something different. We went to Atlanta, Georgia, and learned to be careful what you ask for when you're asking for different. Uh, it had its gems, but we couldn't wait to get back to Wyoming. And we're just really, really happy that we got to land in Sheridan because Sheridan's the best city in the great state of Wyoming. So glad to be here. I feel much the same way after raising my hand and following Uncle Sam's orders all over the world. When I finally got a chance to decide where I wanted to live again, I came back to Sheridan, which is, it was home for me. So welcome back. Yeah, yeah it's really a great home. So you're running for city council. Why? Well, um, I have four little ones, and um, I've got some ideas on what I think uh, makes for a great town, and generally those ideas involve limited government and greater personal freedom. And I started paying attention to local government and just thought that um, there was they could use a little bit more representation on the conservative end of things. And I saw that there were some, a few conservative voices on the council, and I decided I wanted to get in there and help them out. So I decided to throw my hat in the ring, and here I am. 
many miles walked and many doors visited later. <laughs> so we are, what, about 35 days or so from from the election day. And, of course, we were sitting at home today just stuffing envelopes and making mailing lists and all the other fun things that this involves. But you always picture, you know, if, if I'm going to run the, the, the good part, I got to stand up on the stage and everybody's clapping for me and that'll be so cool and everybody will know who I am and all those wonderful aspects. But actually, the truth of the matter is there's a lot of drudgery involved and yet it is worth doing. Obviously, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. There is somebody in this room, though, who has gone through this far more times than we have. Dana? <laughs> yeah, Dana. Mark, Mark stays on the phone and Dana does the campaigning. <laughs> that seems to be how it works. I have been out a number of times, but I had a question for Andy right out of the, out of the gate. What, what's the most asked question you have on the campaign trail about city stuff? I think it is a tie between uh, just asking what specific projects are going on around town. Like somebody has a specific interest of, hey, what's going on at Washington Park or what's going to go on on Main Street? And um, the second most asked or the, the, other, the one that's tying it is uh, people ask me, why does the city keep approving all those new subdivisions? And so, yeah, there's just there's a little bit of a learning curve, both from the candidate side and from the public side on that. Um, but the, there's a lot of interest in the subdivisions and and all the all the construction that's been going around town. So what do we do about affordable housing? How can you fix that in three words or less? In three words or less. <laughs> I think I just it's in, one of those questions yeah. that I get asked. <laughs> um so there's a lot of different variables that go into affordable housing, many of which are at the uh, state level when you start talking about um, taxes and so on. But um, for the local level and a much more tangible level, um, what we need to do is we need to look at our city zoning and planning, and um, we need to focus on maximizing to the extent that it makes sense, that it's reasonable, the areas where we can build starter homes, the types of homes that are at the bottom of the income level that people can get into, uh, high school grads, fresh college grads, um, those are the types of homes that we don't have right now, and because of it, we're having to turn people away that we would like to have uh, part of our community. How about from the state level, Mark? What do you think? In our day, we called those starter homes mobile homes. And uh, I'm I'm fairly opposed to government being overly involved. Now, there, Andy makes a good point that there has to be, because we've done this thing called zoning way back when, there has to be some regulation and stuff until until such a time as hopefully someday you could get away from some of that. But um, I don't know. From the state level, I'm I'm opposed to the state being involved in that. Let the free market do that. States, when governments get involved, they mess it up just pretty well. There are a few things that government could and should be doing, but I don't see housing as necessarily one of those. Well, I agree. Um, there's a lot of people in town who, who don't agree, and that doesn't make them right. But uh, what we're talking about is um, trying to trying to do a planned approach toward um, affecting the transitions from one type of area in our town to the next. But 
I think that what has happened is is that some along the way there have been some um, some people's opinion have worked their way the opinions have worked their way into the zoning, and there's a lot of people that have a negative opinion of mobile homes, apartment complexes, and yeah. tiny home villages. Which is when I say starter homes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And um, I've talked to people. I've talked to um, law enforcement members who said, oh, "Oh, Andy, you can't." You can't be advocating for more mobile homes. It's statistically proven. You bring in more mobile homes, you're gonna you're gonna increase the crime rate. And I just think that that's um, that's a really unfair thing to assign to what is already the only or one of the only solutions that we have for the problems in our town. Because um, and I could get into the numbers, but I mean the numbers are kind of boring. But when we look when we look at it. To, at today's interest rate, or I should say on Monday, that's the last time I checked, um, the median household in Sheridan can only afford, on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, 163000 and some change. So basically $164,000 mortgage. And when you look at what's available in this town for that price, price range, it's virtually nothing. The only things that I found that were available were... Um, Mobile homes. Yeah. And the interest rates, I'm pretty sure, are going up. Every time they increase the interest rate. So I did this incrementally because I I like just playing with the numbers to see to see what it means. And um, so I incremented uh, everything from 4.5% up to 8.5% interest. And I found that every time the federal government increases the interest rate by half a percent, um, they are decreasing our buying power by anywhere from eight to ten thousand dollars on the on the end value of the principal value of the mortgage, and of course everything from my analysis is is uh, assuming that the person has twenty percent down, and it doesn't include uh, uh, private mortgage insurance, which I guess would they would need if they didn't have their twenty percent down, and it doesn't include all the other costs of being a homeowner, the uh, insurance for the home. The uh, if you're gonna do if you're gonna buy a mobile home for that price range, you're not gonna own the lot that it's on either. So that means you're gonna have to tack on lot rent to that. And it's just when you start looking at the entire picture, um, it doesn't look good for um, for the lower income levels in our town. Basically, uh, ha- actually, not even lower income levels. It doesn't look good for half the people in our town because that's what median means, ha- 50% above, 50% below. And my guess is, since you can't find anything at six, 164000 I mean, what can you find it at? There's a few things out there for around 200000 250000 And most of them are eight hundred to 1,000 square foot uh, one or two bedroom places that have uh, generally one bath, sometimes two baths. And frankly, if you're a family of four, that's not going to work for you. Yeah. I mean, you can bunk up like you're in a submarine, but it's not going to. That's not something that you can do for a long period of time. I want to take a step back and look at this problem realistically. And why is it that we cry out for the government to help us? Because why is inflation rate? Why is the interest rate where it is? It's because of inflation. How did we get inflation? Government. Government intervention. Government. (laughs) Um, We have issues with zoning laws. How did we get the zoning laws? Government's the problem. What happens, though, is we're sold a bill of goods that the problem is the free market. The free market is unfair. The free market only only favors 
the wealthy or the established. And quite the opposite is true. So what we have is this fallacy that there's a problem with the free market. And so in order to help the little guy, we need more government intervention. When the truth of the matter is all this government invention, intervention is what is completely messing us up. Okay, now that we've said that, there's nothing left to say. Well, there's actually, I think there's plenty more to say because uh, to piggyback onto your statement, the government intervention messing things up, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's a lot of the city zoning rules that prohibit those types of, the types of houses that people need to, to be able to live in. The, the zoning is what's preventing it. So um, I remember hearing from a member of the public, actually two different members of the public, that wanted to bring in a tiny home village. And um, as I was told that the city council felt it was too similar to a mobile home park, so they were going to classify it as such, and they disallowed it, or they didn't approve it. And the problem is is that um, I think it goes, it goes back to the orig original bias that is preventing people from looking at that option right now. But as you and I know, I mean, we're a college town. If there's a mo if there's a tiny home village that uh, had any amount of thought put into it to make it look kind of new and and updated and um, that would be the premier place that anyone under twenty five wanted to live, especially anybody attending the college. I mean, it would be it it would actually become kind of an attraction, I think, in my opinion. But so, Andy, what's what what have you seen the difference in the in the county zoning and the and the city ordinances or their their preferences? How how does that affect this? Well, um, my first and foremost beef between the uh, comparison between city and county zoning is the fact that um, in the joint planning area, otherwise known as the donut area around the town, the county has the entire uh, say over what happens in that. And that is because of state statute, that's going to have to be something that's fixed down in Cheyenne. It's, it's, not, it's not something that we can just do here. But I was um, involved in that, though, I might add. Okay, so we need to talk to Mark about <laughs> getting that fixed. But as, I, as I'm told, a lot of the litigation that drives changes in state statute, at least around uh, these types of measures, they come out of uh, another county in the uh, northwest of Wyoming. And that this is not the House floor. You can name names. <laughs> we can name names. Teton yeah. County. So... Um, yeah, and so there was a, I don't know, some sort of a, a disagreement about a city who wanted to annex. They wanted to annex a certain group of houses. And anyway, there was a disagreement over what was allowed and what was not allowed, depending on the image that they wanted to uphold for their town. So um, long and the short of it is, is that the county has the full say. Now, our county is um, working well with the city, and they say that... Uh, that they are giving uh, a lot of thought to and, and to the desires of the city. So what we've got then is uh, we should have a, a willing working relationship between the two. And the reason that that's a good thing is because it means that if the city starts st stating that, hey, we need X, Y, or Z in the donut area because those are the first areas that we're going to end up annexing into the city, then um, at least we have a promise from the county commissioners that they're going to listen to what we, what we need and what we want. The donut area is half a mile or a mile now? I believe it's a mile. mile. Okay, so I was on corporations when that came through, and, and uh, I remember it 
very distinctly because I was uh, pretty new in the legislature, and I watched the county people and the the uh, Wyoming Municipalities Association, and they came to the corporations, and it had been three or five miles, and um, the chairman of that committee actually said, you guys go get in a room and you figure this out because there was that tension between places like Teton County and stuff like that. And uh, they said, okay, they would. At the very next meeting, they were asked what they came up with, and they said, the cities chose not to go, not to go into that. And so the state stepped into that and moved it from, I think, five miles back to one mile. Maybe they went back to a half a mile, and then later they amended, amended it out to a mile. But the cities, they weren't going to have any of it. And so that was an interesting battle because you, you knew that it was only driven certain places around the state. It wasn't by everyone. And uh, so that's that's probably what you're alluding to in that donut and ca- creating a problem. Cities have come back since then and said several times, well, they want to they fix that problem. But, you know, I was there. I, and, and the chairman told him, said, you guys go get in a room and you hash this out or we'll do it for you. And the the cities literally walked away from the table, did not get up and and go into the table, actually. And so when it came back before the committee, that was the – it moved, I think, from five miles to one. could have been three. It's been quite a while back. So when you say that the cities didn't uh, join the conversation, uh, are you talking specifically specifically about the Wyoming Association of Municipalities, WAM? Yeah, WAM did not – did not sit down. Their membership was not present at the table. And and because of that, that's why the state did what it did, what ended up doing. Well, you know, um, a couple council meetings ago, I got, um, I realized how important words are because when you use a certain phrase, it means something. And even if it doesn't mean the same thing in your head when you're using it, it can it can cause um, some misunderstandings. And the, the phrase that I used was uh, a missed opportunity. And on the municipal level, saying that something was a missed opportunity means that somebody really dropped the ball. And I wasn't meaning to claim that to the city, but I think that in this instance, um, referring to WAM and what you just described, that was very much a missed opportunity. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I, I was astonished that they, you know, that they, you know, they agreed to go in and talk. And when they didn't, the counties said, well, we'd like to see it here. And so that's what they got. It was, uh, it was very much a failure of government not willing to talk back and forth. And I see that at the state level, since back to your question, you see that at the state level where there's, um, you know they're vying; their their factions are vying for what typically would be best for their group of people, and lots of times they don't look out for a, the other interest of other people. But that is, I think that's how you ended up with the donut that you have today. Well, um, let's say that the one mile increment or or one mile distance was sufficient. Um, let's let's take just a second before you do that. And explain what we mean by donut, because we all we all understand that we've been active in these conversations. But a lot of people listening to this are probably a little bit lost. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. What do we mean by the donut and planning? So um, when I first started hearing about this, it was frequently referred to as the donut area. And I'm thinking, hmm, that sounds delicious. Yeah, cops, I want to go there. The cops are well patrolled. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere. Yeah. This sounds like a magical place. Let's, <laughs> let's all move to the donut area. <laughs> but um, what I found was is that uh, there is a, there's a boundary to the city. It's called the city limits or the corporate boundary of the city. And beyond that boundary is a one-mile buffer, and the city looks to the area in that one-mile buffer to work with the county um, to make joint decisions on what development should be allowed in that area, Such uh, because they're thinking ahead that those are going to be the next areas that get annexed into the city. And so um, the city needs to think, since the city and the county have different codes and regulations that they require of development, the city needs to have input into that area as to what's getting built. If they fail to do that, and the county has different standards, someone lives up to the county standards, and then pretty quick that area is annexed by the city, and all the work that they did has to be redone or eventually brought up to code, and there's just this conflict that doesn't need to be there with a little bit of foresight. Yeah, well, there's... a. Uh... I think that the best example that I um, have heard about that was not from our town, but from a neighboring town, Gillette. And what they did was they started out the subdivision with everybody being on septic tanks. And uh, a lot of the examples that I have of uh, the cooperation not functioning 100% perfectly uh, revolves around sewer. Um, And so what happened was this subdivision got annexed into the city and they brought a sewer main up the street. But with each house having its septic tank behind the house, then they had to dig up the the backyard, side yard, and front yard to lay a pipe out to the front of the house, and they had to cut through the sidewalk and the street. And um, oftentimes when that happens, um, there's some difficulty in getting proper compaction. So... About a year later, the, the, the patches that were put back in the street end up uh, turning into kind of like a washboard. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun street to drive down. <laughs> so let's go back to the original question then about the idea of a one-mile or maybe a three-mile donut zone. How does, how does that work? Okay. Um, what, what are the effects of the change in that distance? Okay, so when the city is looking to annex a certain subdivision, they have certain codes that they need that subdivision to to be up to. And um, when the county has one idea about what they would like to approve and the city has a different idea, then we've got um, potential stumbling blocks that can be brought into the works. And there's one subdivision that was approved in the donut area here in, in Sheridan that... Um, there wasn't a requirement to bring sewer up th- and th- to and through the subdivision. Now, that's not a huge problem for that particular subdivision. But then there's three or four more lots extending away from the city that could be developed in the future into the type of housing that, um, well, it, it, it would turn into very de- desirable housing because it's kind of in a low-lying bottom area and it would just be 
uh, it'd be a great place to have a house. We would be losing a couple hay fields, but that seems to be the price, the inevitable price of development in this area. People generally want to put their house down in the fertile valleys and not up on the windblown bluffs. Um, although, from a practical standpoint, it would be the opposite. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so we've just got, um, we need to give some thought to future progression of, of utility development. And, and we need to, the city needs to be um, active in advocating for their future needs when um, giving input on the development that's happening in the donut area. That kind of foresight also helps make future housing a little bit more affordable in that the costs of going in and initially tying into water and sewer and all those are, are minimized because it's well planned. You don't right. have to you don't have to cut up everything over and over again and and bring in lines through other areas that already have lines, etc. Yeah, no, my one of my main comments about that particular development I was talking about was that it would be uh, exponentially more expensive for the next development to try to hopscotch over and bring sewer up to theirs. So essentially, by approving the development that was closer to town, they've already set the type of development that can happen later. Now, it's not impossible. They, it's possible that they might be able to tie into a different part of the sewer line. But what we're talking about here is uh, giving... It's just like you said, thinking about the cost of future development... We need to be thinking about the people and what what we can do now that's going to make things a little bit better for them and better for us in the future, especially when we go to annex the areas outside of city limits. I listen to you. You don't sound like the usual city council candidate. You seem to be very well informed. Why is that? How come you know what you're talking about? What did you do to prepare for this? Um, well, I, I appreciate you asking. Um, so... Uh, starting about uh, a year ago, actually August 2021, I started attending every single city council meeting, and I have attended every single one of them that has um, that there's been ever since then. And starting about the beginning of the year, I started attending all of the in-between meetings, which are the work-study sessions as well. And on top of that, um, when I can, I also attend the planning and development meetings. Um, I have met several times with our planning and development director, Wade Sanner, and I sat down with uh, the city treasurer as well to get a 101 on the city budget. And frankly, just talking about the budget for a second, that is a very, uh, that's a very large animal to try to study. There's a lot of different variables and a lot of different um, departments and categories. And there's general fund budgets and enterprise budgets and something called a benefit fund. I didn't. I'd heard it mentioned several times in council meetings, but never knew what it was. But I went and talked to um, Karen Burtis, the city treasurer, and she explained it to me. And um, while when we were reaching about the end of the two and a half hours, <laughs> where I was thanking her profusely for taking all that time to explain that to me, uh, the thought occurred to me, and I asked her. I said, "In the time that you've been treasurer, has any other city council member or city council candidate ever sat down with you and and gone over the same thing, asked for the same type of summary information?" And, and she said, "No," and that really surprised me because. Um, it is such a complicated thing that it would take anybody quite a while to wrap their mind around all the different facets. And so um, 
in addition to attending the meetings, in addition to meeting with department heads, which I've since also met with the public works director and the director of uh, public utilities. And uh, in addition to all that, I have been speaking uh, frequently with current council members to try to get questions answered and and understand what this or that means in uh, procedurally. And basically, I feel like the Sheridan voter deserves to vote for somebody who's done their homework. And I have been putting in every effort that I can in order to do that homework because I don't want to, if I get elected, which I am feeling optimistic and confident about this November, um, I don't think that the voters should have to uh, watch me for several months uh just do on on the job training. Now I know that there's still going to be a lot of learning to be done, but uh, the way I like the way Aaron Linden used to put it, he used to talk about how the first year was drinking from a fire hose, the second year you start to learn what's going on, third year it's even more, and the fourth year you've hit your stride. Well, if I get elected this November, um, I'll already have my first year under my belt, I'll already passed the drinking from the fire hose stage, and that's really important to me because. I don't want to get in there and make mistakes when I'm already a city official making votes or voting on different issues. And I don't want to get in there and um, just not know what I'm doing. So I think that's probably where I appreciate Andy. I've known him for quite a while. And actually, I, there's very few candidates, as you know, that I'm willing to endorse. And, uh, for whoever's out there listening, I want them to know that I'm endorsing Andy Patsick for city council. I think he'll start out day one as a good a good addition, especially for a, a calm voice of reason that a lot of times those council members don't know they haven't they have not done that research, and um, it can happen to any elected official. I mean, and it, it still will happen to you. I just want you to know that. But sure. <laughs> that having been said, it's good for when people are able to put some time in to understand that. And so I'd encourage our listeners to, to get out and look at Andy and consider voting for him. He's a good guy. Well, and I want to say that the uh, that your endorsement means a great deal to me because I understand the type and caliber of person that you are, and I've... I've been paying attention to you too, and um, frankly, um, w one of the reasons that I didn't speak about in getting into this this whole uh, game was I I think it might be a little oversimplistic, but I think that you can you can kind of drill down into that the there are two types of people: the kind of person that says I want to mind my business and you better mind yours. That's the kind of person that believes in constitutional freedom and limited government and then the kind of person that says well the government knows best and and maybe they even think that they should be able to determine how you live your life and um when i started paying attention to city council i noticed that there were um a minority of conser consistently conservative voices up there and that surprised me in the western conservative city of sheridan wyoming you know and so um I came to the conclusion that more conservative people need to step up and they need to step out of their com comfort zone and they need to get into the fray. And um, when I examined how 
Representative Jennings has done exactly that. It was uh, an inspiration to me, and and frankly, um, Ken, watching you do the same thing, and um, you know, it's there's a lot of um, a lot of inspiration that can come from watching other people who hold similar values use the same type of courage to step in and just try to start fixing things and, and pulling the reins back. It has been inspirational for me to get to know a number of the members of the legislature and to begin to discuss with them in different ways some of the things that we face. I know this first year for me is going to be like drinking from the proverbial fire hose. But I think like you, I've had a couple of years to start following things, to start to kind of get up to speed. And I look at that as an advantage. I realize that what I don't know far exceeds what I do know. But at least I I think I have a lot better inkling than I would have had even a couple of years ago. That's one of the things about people working together that I really appreciate. And we have all over the state a bunch of like-minded people who are working together, who are helping each other out. And I see a lot of reason to be encouraged and to look forward to a brighter future despite all the things going on around us. It's a battle. It's a battle, gentlemen. Maybe you want to know a little bit more about Andy. You can go back through the archives of the Ramble Room, and he did a show with us before, told a little bit about how he first got interested in this and and some stories there about some ordinances that he helped get in the line. And the second one, Andy, is if if somebody doesn't want to know more about you or would like to talk to you, how do they get a hold of you? Well, uh, the the best ways to get a hold of me are um, I, I am on Facebook, um, Andrew Patsick for City Council, and um, I have uh, my email is Andrew Patsick at pm dot me. That's Paul Mary dot Mary Edward. <laughs> Just so that because a lot of those vowels or letters yeah. sound similar, so. And and Patsy, if you don't want to know how to spell that, look at the title of this episode. It's there. <laughs> yeah, there's. I I long ago gave away to the phonetic alphabet on that one. Paul Alpha Tango Charlie Echo Golf. <laughs> yeah. So, it's just too many similar sounding letters. That way, they have their the name down right, so they can write that donation check to help this precisely good conservative out. Right. Precisely, and as long as you're writing the check, make it a big one. You don't want to waste postage. Yeah. That's right. We don't want to waste postage. <laughs> if you're really if you're really efficient, you'll just go medium somewhere and hand him the money. <laughs> and if you're lucky, I'll be coming to your door because I'm still doing the door to door. Amen. A lot, and uh, that is a challenging thing because similar to the same anxiety that you feel when you're stepping up onto the stage for a forum, you never know what kind of questions you're going to be asked. Um, sometimes they're uh, it's just so encouraging to see someone start asking a lot of questions. And I love it. I love it when I get to somebody's door and they start asking questions. Most of the time, uh, they don't have questions, and I understand that too. Um, although I've been thinking about it a lot, generally those people didn't invite me to their door. I'm surprising them. And they weren't thinking about politics the moment before I knocked on their door. So... Um, a lot of them just haven't thought of the what they would ask somebody if they were at their door. But um, 
there there have been a few that have asked me questions about uh, this ordinance or that ordinance or what is the city doing about development or what's happening in this part of the town or that part of the town. And, and it has been uh, great to talk to them. Um, but uh, there's there's still, a, like I said, a challenge to go door to door. But it's it's also been really, um, how do I say, it's, I feel really blessed for all the people that I've got to meet and um, all the people that I've gotten to just share a few moments of their life and, and what their concerns are. And surprisingly, a few of them have, have actually been around water rights. And that was one of the things that I got to have meaningful input on recently. Yeah, explain a little of your background there, just a lot of people won't know. Okay, so uh, I am a civil engineer, and when I shortly after I moved back to Wyoming about 10 years ago, I started getting into water rights. And water rights has a very steep learning curve. Talking to the, um, the people that work at the state engineer's office down in Cheyenne, they frequently told me, you will learn, it will take you five years to learn 75% of what you need to know and the rest of your life to pick up the re- remaining 25%. And they weren't kidding. There's a tremendous amount of, of detail and complication in those things. But one of the things that we can rest assured about is that our, our state engineer's office is being run like a well-oiled machine. I can't say enough good things about the state engineer's office. Every time I've talked to somebody, it has been the antithesis of the stereotypical government employee. When you come to them with something that you need done, they help take ownership of the solution. And that's just, it's very uncommon. They're not an apathetic, uh, the stereotype being, of course, an apathetic obstacle to your, pro, um, uh, to your progress. Uh, they are the exact opposite. That They step in and they try to make it, um, they find a way to, within state statute, help you get done what you're doing. But um, so the the city had to address House Bill 0002 that passed uh, in Cheyenne that said, well, in a nutshell, that the municipalities had to address water rights before they could approve a final plat on a subdivision. And a subdivision is anytime somebody buys land and they want to start dividing it up to create lots – so that they can sell it to people so that people can have their own slice of heaven here in Sheridan. And um, what happened was is that the original draft of the ordinance and several thereafter gave first right of refusal to the city, which meant that when you subdivided your property, you had to offer to sell the water rights on the subdivided portion to the city. Well, those water rights, if you're the landowner, they're part of your property. They're part of your property value, and they are very valuable. Every, anybody who's lived any time in Wyoming knows how valuable water is. Um, so I worked with city attorney Brendan Kearns and a group of other people to offer amendment to that ordinance. And I'm really happy to say that when it finally got passed through the city council, it dropped it down from a level of eminent domain and put the power of the decision power back in the hands of the landowners. The landowner, if they want to use their water right for a, a raw water distribution system on their property, they can. And that is that is exactly 
where it needed to be. The power needed to be in the landowner's hands. Now, if they don't, which I'm guessing that many of them don't because a lot of developers don't really want to deal with water rights, they can offer to sell it to the city. And if it's beneficial to the city, the city will buy it and for a fair market value. And then everybody wins because this is going to be uh, adding to the water supply of the city um, and helping strengthen our future by taking care of needs that would come after, say, 2050. So uh, the year 2050, that is. <laughs> Mark, you got anything to add? Well, I... I thought it was very interesting that he's found a, a governmental department that's well-oiled and working well. Yeah, don't let that get out. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's unusual because usually if I call down, it's uh, they put me on hold. They go get a Starbucks latte, and they go grab some donuts from the donut from the donut yeah. area, area. <laughs> and then they come back and see if I'm still waiting. And so it's very good to hear this. Some of those are very good. No, there's some there's some really good state yeah. employees and public employees. Um, I don't want to disparage any of them, but yeah, we jest, but we, yeah, sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. And yeah. I can say that in and not just at the state level, but also at the local level, um, our state engineer's office has just been amazing to work with. Good, um, very personable and active to help you find solutions. In fact, a lot of times. Um, in my opinion, they do things for uh, citizens of Sheridan who, that they – it's not really in their purview. They shouldn't be doing it for them, but they'll, they'll do it anyway to help them out. And So they're just great people. So. That is what government employees – I mean, that, that's – we are there to serve the people. That's what we're supposed to be there for. What? <laughs> what? Did you run for the wrong reason? <laughs> no, Andy, it's been good to have you back again. I think we'll wind it up at this point. And uh, might be able to squeeze you in one more time before, before the election on November 8th. Well, if that works out, that would be great because I'm a big fan of what you do here and um, the service that it provides our town as well. Thank you. And for my part, from my chair, I only endorsed three candidates this entire time, and two of them are in this room with me. So We need a bigger room. <laughs> Thanks, all.